WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. The Phoenicia Diner on Route 28 in Phoenicia for breakfast and lunch, locally sourced seasonal food and drink, and Phoenicia Diner's sister restaurant, Dixon Roadside, at the corner of Tinker Street and Dixon Avenue in Woodstock for modern twists on comfort food for lunch and dinner, local beers and craft cocktails, and catering for private events. PhoeniciaDiner.com and DixonRoadside.com. The Delaware County Chamber of Commerce, a catalyst for sustainable economic prosperity in the Catskills, fostering cooperation, forging partnerships, promoting tourism, providing legislative advocacy, and building strong community ties throughout the region. More information at 607-746-2281 or DelawareCounty.org. Andy's Guitar Repair in Margaretville, specializing in fretted instruments, structural repairs, setups, fretwork, electronics, and custom wound pickups. Andy's Guitar Repair, by appointment only, by text or phone call, 845-384-2970, 845-384-2970, andysguitarrepair.com. The Mountain Eagle, the community newspaper and website serving the Catskills region, covering Delaware, Schoharie, Green, and northern Ulster counties, with local reporting, regional events, school sports, letters, and features, all in the Mountain Eagle. Rockland Cider Works upstate in Gilboa, an agritourism cidery with vacation rentals on a sprawling former dairy farm, gluten-free hard cider made from 100% New York State apples, New York State produced beer, wine, and spirits. Rockland Cider Works upstate on Stryker Road in Gilboa. RocklandCiderWorks.com. This is Dan O'Connell, host of Monday Morning Music on WIOX Roxbury. As a WIOX spokesperson, I also manage underwriting for the station, and I'm here to let you know that underwriting on WIOX is a great way to support the station and inform the community about your business or service. If you'd like to become an underwriter, Contact me for details at 607-326-3900 or WIOX at WIOXradio.org.
Okay, you are listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones and also with the Radio Garden phone app. This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. John, how's it going? Oh, things are good, Ryan. What's going on with you? Still maple sugaring since no. January 2nd. And But you're um, beyond your halfway point? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, usually uh, I make about half a gallon per tap. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not there yet, but I would say I'm two-thirds there. Wow. So I hope to get two more weeks into February, <laughs> which usually is when uh, you begin tapping in my neck of the woods. That's in central Ulster County. But um, I'll be looking to wrap up. Yeah, I've been talking talk with a couple of uh, local bigger producers, commercial producers, and they're talking about tapping next week. Yeah. Yeah, the, the forecast is going to be very cold next three days. And seeing some our first negative temperatures of the year. And then after that, uh, it looks like it's back to sugar and weather. You know, highs in the 30s, 40s, lows in the... 20s and some some above freezing in my neck of the woods again so not here here it'll be perfect i think i'll take it I'll yeah take it if the rest of the winter's like this it's it really wasn't a bad one no no i mean i like snow to a certain extent you know snowshoeing once in a while um although i haven't done it in a while i'm too busy working in the woods so snow can get in the way sometimes but uh but it is nice to have a few inches of snow on the ground but uh, we're, we're out in it every single day uh, pruning apple trees, and that's what we do January through mid-April. So we do feel the weather. And last year was uh, very cold, but no no snow. I was wrong. I really had a feeling it was going to be uh, very cold and snowy this year, and that has not panned out. Not yet. No. It'd have to take a serious turn to now consider it a snowy winter. Yeah, I would say three years ago was terrible. It was 36 degrees every day and rainy. That was really hard to prune apple trees in because mm-hmm. you just got wet. And the year before that, it may have been four years ago, where we had a true winter. It was very so, snowy and, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, we were deep snow some days. Yeah. So, I don't know. You never know. You can't, you can't do anything about it anyway. And um, But that's it. What else? What else? Anything else new, John? Um, yeah, honestly, I haven't been up. On recreation-wise, around my own time, I haven't been up in the woods a whole lot lately. So I don't have a lot to report other than, um, I don't know, I've noticed when I do go for a couple walks, I notice a lot of porcupine tracks. I don't know what they're up to, but it seems like whatever they're doing, they're making a shift from what they've been doing. Yeah. And uh, expanding their daily ranges. Hmm. So I don't know what that yeah. means. If someone's seeing damage on their uh, porches or sheds or siding or whatever else they chew, maybe that's why. Maybe yeah. you're noticing that now. Could be. Well, I will say the sugar content has been great has this year, yeah. It's been very good, uh, 2.3 to 2.8%, so average 2.5, 2.6. That's really good. It's been great. Um, I forget what the math is on that, but it's about 33 to 28 to 1, 33 to 1 or so on average. So I, I can't complain about that. Um, you know, you, you think you need a long, cold winter. 
and then you know it warms up gradually to have a good sugaring season and so far I've just not seen that to be true I haven't they run when the temperatures are right and the sugar's already made from last summer so you tap January 2nd do you ever foresee yourself being a December tap no no I gotta draw the line somewhere and you know what with this new holiday hunt that the DEC allowed where you can hunt after Christmas that week I really like it it gives me a lot more freedom it makes it even more difficult to go from the transition from hunting season to sugaring season, which hap- literally was days apart. Uh-huh. So I didn't like that. If it was my perfect world, I would tap mid-January at the earliest. And February would be my month of sugaring because I love February for sugaring. Days are still short, and in March, you know, days are still long. But December, come on. I mean, you know, it's Christmas. <laughs> I know. Christmas is hell uh, in some ways, very busy time. It's a good time. I don't mean actual hell, but um, yeah, holidays. Yeah, is, how can you manage one more thing at that time of year? I don't know. You can't, and it's hunting season. Yeah, December's hunting season, so so you know you got to split up your hobbies somewhat, right? The heck, right? So I draw the line at that. January second was early. I had to really be like, all right, the weather's too good. I have to do it. I saw like ten, fourteen day forecast, and it was like, you know. 40s and 20s, 40s and 31, 40s and 31, mm-hmm. <laughs> over and over again, you know. 50s, who's getting in the 50s in January? So anyway, tonight's show is, uh, today's topic is Meet Catskill Forest Association's Education Forester, Zara Bellucci, and she's joined CFA as Education Forester in May 2022, originally from Rochester, New York. Uh, that's not town of Rochester in New York or Hoxton, that's... That's over there in western New York land. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I spent several years living in the Catskills and Hudson Valley before then, working in sustainable agriculture. She assists in the implementation of CFA's programs and works to administer and develop forestry education services offered by CFA to its members and the local community. Zara has an Associates in Applied Science and Forest Technology that she earned in May 2022 from the SUNY College of Environmental Science and Forestry's New York State Ranger School. And uh, how's it going, Zara? It's going good. Yeah. So what have you been up to? Um, I've been doing consultations at CFA, um, mostly doing a lot of office work, helping out with apple pruning. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's something, uh, the apple tree pruning is it's, um, pretty busy. Yeah, but, for sure. But, you know, the reason why we started doing it because some people might ask well isn't a forest association apples are not just important to humans but it's probably one of our best fruit masts if you call it for wildlife that there are yeah i would agree so and they're not getting any more abundant they're going away as forests succeed to mature age classes so that's why we kind of focus on it plus we really had nothing else going on Mm -hmm. we mean the catskill forest association during this time of year um, it's not as true as it used to be, but it's still true. Yeah, it's, it's keeps us busy. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably every, almost every property I visit, somebody's got an apple tree. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere. Somewhere. Especially in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what got you into forestry? Well, it was honestly accidental. I mean, I grew up, like you said, in Rochester, New York, um, in an urban environment. I didn't grow up in the forest. Um, there was a local park down the road from my home that I spent a lot of time in, but I was never interested in identifying trees or 
working in forestry. Um, and I think as I graduated high school and got into school, I actually originally went for a, a music degree. And I just kind of realized I, I didn't want to end up where that degree would take me. And so I, I left and decided to get a job that would allow me to work outside. I really wanted to um, use my body and uh, I don't know, I just really enjoyed being outside and I actually really enjoy manual labor. So I left that degree and um, I yeah moved actually to the Catskill Mountains several years ago and that's where I worked on the first farm. Um, and I just really loved it from there. And that was so in Solving County? No, that was actually uh Delaware. So that was right in Hamden actually. Okay. Uh, but yeah. then you worked you worked for in Sullivan as well, right? Um I worked in Orange County, so but right. pretty close to the Sullivan border, yeah. Um down in the Port Jervis area. Okay. So yep, I I spent maybe three or four years doing farming, mostly small scale vegetable farms. Um and then also kind of realized while I loved farming, it wasn't going to make me a ton of money being a farmhand. So I wanted to go back to school for something that would still allow me to work outside, but um, that I could make more of a career out of. Um, so I found the ESF Ranger School. Um, I It was really important to me that the school focused on hands-on learning and that I would get a lot of field time and still be outside. Um, I didn't just want to be in a lecture hall, uh, like a traditional college setting. So, but even then when I registered for ESF Ranger School, I, I still didn't really have a solid idea of what forestry even meant. So, um, you know, it was a total surprise that unraveled there and I ended up loving it luckily, but how'd you hear about the Ranger School? I, I think I just through an internet search. I don't think anybody mentioned it to me. I didn't, I mean, I knew about their main campus in the in Syracuse but um, I didn't know about the Ranger School I kind of was just doing my own research trying to find uh, programs yeah again that would allow me to to work in the field and learn at the same time so if you didn't know exactly what forestry was before until you went to school what did your what was your idea and vision of forestry uh, before applying to that college yeah it probably was was pretty similar to um, what most you know, normal people, day-to-day -day people think of when they hear forestry, like logging or timber production or just like a scene in your mind of, yeah, people harvesting trees um, to use for wood products. And um, to be honest, I was more interested in the natural resource environmental side of it. Um, that's a more broad topic. That's another concentration at the Ranger School, and I actually ended up switching out of that concentration into the the forest technology program, which mm. is a lot more hands-on, deals with a lot of uh, m machinery like chainsaw use and actually getting your hands dirty in, in, in a way that, you know, the main campus or other schools wouldn't really offer. Can you describe the difference between forest resource program and the natural resource program a little bit? Yeah, I mean, at least at the Ranger School, the natural they resource... They didn't have that when I went. Yeah, no, they recently yeah. just added it. And that, it's actually pretty popular, and I think... The draw is that it's so broad, and I think the idea going into it, people think the fact that it's broad, it's going to give them more options when they go out in the job market. And and um, but in my opinion, in reality, I think it the difference is that it it may be too broad, or it may be um, focusing more on 
other aspects of, of natural resources that aren't related to forestry and forestry jobs. Um, actually, I was just at the New York SAF conference and they were discussing this, that people who are hiring for forestry jobs less and less are finding students that have forestry specific degrees. Um, more people are getting into natural resources as a general degree. I mean, as someone who has hired a few people at Catskill Forest Association, I was less likely to hire someone who had too broad of a degree. Yeah. Environmental science would be very broad, mm-hmm. and that was definitely out. And forestry is already broad. Okay, and I don't like this whole natural resource thing because forestry is all of that. The recreation, wildlife, urban forestry, which is arboriculture, that's all under forestry really. Um, people forget that. It's not just timber. Timber is a subcategory mm-hmm. of forestry. Yeah. Um, forest health obviously is under forestry. That's not just natural resource. So I think they're, you know, they have to go with where the demand is. Obviously, they got to do what they got to do. But mm-hmm. forestry is already pretty generalized as well. Uh, yeah. Foresters are ecologists. Yeah. But yeah, so I agree that um, it's too broad natural resources management, I mm-hmm. think. for, And I think other employers probably feel the same way. Yeah. I Especially for a place like the Ranger School where that's meant to be a field based program that's unique. That you you know something you you learn something there you couldn't learn at the main campus in Syracuse or at an at a other forestry college, and I feel like that's what the forest technology and the other uh, concentration that has been there for a long time is land surveying. Those are very specific vocations that you know require hands-on training. They require you to learn a lot of different machinery and hand tools, and um, that you don't you wouldn't get that experience at the main campus. Whereas you can learn about wildlife and soil and, you know, sit in lectures about natural resources on the main campus. Yeah, it's a it's a technic technician yeah. job. It's supposed to land you a technician job and um I as far as I know, I don't know. Someone have to explain to me. I don't know what natural resource tech jobs there are. Yeah. But there are forest tech jobs, both for private and public, that mm-hmm. are out there. So that's what it was supposed to be for, I thought, but I guess they've gone away from that. I mean, when I think of it, I've injured an NRCS or NR, NRM, National Resource Management, job being more of like something like USGS, like a mm-hmm. geological or a uh, direct or water sampling or something along those lines that's, you know, a technician might be more specific to. Yeah, yeah. like an ecological monitoring technician or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. 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 I don't know. So, um, the ranger school is a little different than other schools because it's very isolated, right? And yeah. and you you live with people there. I mean, yeah, I so mean it's how did that go? It's one building. <laughs> um, it's not structured like a traditional college schedule. I mean, it's actually more similar to a either a, an internship schedule or like a job schedule. Um, they're very strict about it. You don't have a repeating class schedule like you would in college. You know, every Wednesday you have this class at three p.m. etc. In this case, they would pretty much every day we would have at least four hours, which would be half the day, in the field. So you have a lab every day. Um, doesn't matter the weather. And this is yeah in, in Wanakina in the Western Adirondacks, uh, for anyone who doesn't know. And yeah, you're very isolated. Um, you step out. It's on Cranberry Lake, so you can step out of the door and you're in the Adirondacks. You're absolutely like you're on the lake. You're in the woods um, and. Yeah, you're living with all of your peers, but also all of your professors, pretty much. And um, so it's a very intense experience. I think 
Um, it's definitely not like living in a college dorm on a, on a large campus because you have to see each other every day. Even people that you normally wouldn't think to associate with, you're, you see them every day anyway, and you have to work with them. And so it does a really good job, I think, at teaching you how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You um, have to be tolerant of people because yeah. otherwise you'll go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's not too much different from the military in some ways, to be honest with you, that being in close quarters. Mm-hmm. It, I believe the New York State Ranger School was created by World War One vets. Yeah. The, the Great War at the time. <laughs> they didn't know it was the first one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, as far as I know, so mm-hmm. it is very rigorous like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, he already had kind of a work ethic to be, begin with, but um, other people don't, and the Ranger School kind of, well, you'll either adjust to that and get one, or you just yeah. won't make it. Yeah, exactly. You'll either learn how to work outside and how to dress. Some people, mm-hmm. they come not knowing exactly how to dress outside and work, and now they learn yeah. real fast. <laughs> real fast, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or they don't, and they go home. That That's really mm-hmm. how it goes. What was the dropout rate that you saw? I mean, estimated. You probably don't know the number. Well, actually, I mean, because it's such a small school, um, my class was – was one of the largest classes they've had in a while, and it was still only like 60 kids. So Wow. Yeah. 60. Yeah. That's a big class. Which is big for the ranger school. Um, yeah. You know, normally I think it hovers around 30 or 40 normally. Yeah, I think um, we had 48. Yeah. Um, but I think there was probably about five to ten students who dropped out. Either they almost made it or it, it – Usually was around after the first semester in the winter break when everyone's going home. They're like, I'm not going back for the second semester. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, I mean, there was various reasons. Then, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to figure that these, these are people you would think are committed. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I mean, I went to Paul Smith's college and obviously totally different than what you're describing. It was more of the traditional college atmosphere and scheduling, things like that. And, uh, the first first semester was crazy my <laughs> freshman semester was when we came back from christmas break it was like 30 percent wow wow all of a sudden my dorm room was empty or my dorm uh dormitorium yeah. was empty yeah i'm like what the heck happened here and that was obviously a grouping of all freshmen in that dorm so it wasn't yeah. like it was uh you know anything specific to my major but yeah i remember my first uh my first intro class of of, of wildlife management was in the auditorium it was so popular and so big mm-hmm. And it uh, seemed packed. I don't know if it was, but it was large enough to host us there. And by the end, we were in one of the smallest classrooms. You know, I, I think 12 or something was the final number. So wow. it weeded people out. Mm-hmm. I think anecdotally uh, in my class, the the dropout rate might not be as high in the ranger school because the average age might be higher. That would make yeah. sense. There are people in their 40s yeah. that were there. Those guys were like, you know, I, I did finances in the city. Yeah. I decided I wanted to go to the ranger school, and this is like I'm really going to pursue this job, and they're mm-hmm. serious about it. Yeah, We had um, single mothers in their 30s who wanted to pursue a forest ranger. I remember her. Um, you know, So all sorts of people. Jack McShane, right? He was the former president of the Catskill Forest Association. Well, he was originally a police officer in New York City. When oh, he really? retired, he went to the New York, mm-hmm. New York State Ranger School. Oh, and yeah. God, into into forestry. Wow, man. So yeah. a person who does that. In their 40s, because they retire earlier at the police. Um, yeah, they're kind of serious about it at that point. Someone in there you know, who's 18, they're probably like, I definitely don't want to go back to Paul Smith's or, or ESF the first year, I'm sure, like at, in uh, Syracuse, you yeah. know, the big mm-hmm. campus. I don't know what it was because it's such a big 
pool at that point, you yeah. don't you wouldn't know who dropped out or not. Yeah. Know, to be fair. Well, full circle back to <laughs> what dropped people out the most was uh, chemistry class. <laughs> we had a really tough professor, and and most of the I'm going to call them the core degrees that are more uh, career oriented that we just talked about, like forestry or, or wildlife or whatever. It's more a linear path to a certain job at the end. Um, needed needed to pass chemistry, mm-hmm. and most a lot of kids couldn't. And when they couldn't, they switched to natural resources management <laughs> degree. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, I was one of those kids because I've always been um, more of like I like studying history and, and mm-hmm. English and stuff like that, writing. And what shied me away and into environmental studies at one time in the University of Colorado was I didn't want to take those science classes. Mm. That weeds out the kids who don't want to take zoology, botany, chemistry, yeah. one and two, and calculus. Boom, physics. Yeah. And I was like, all right, that's it. Let's bite the bullet here and take it and do yeah. it and get the BS or the AAS, um, that science degree. But um, Yeah, I had a similar experience where I think I would have gone into science sooner, but I was... I did poorly in high school in chemistry and those harder science classes, and I think I was underestimating my ability to uh, be able to pass them in in college. And so, I, I yeah, it intimidated me. So yeah. I went a different route. But then again, yeah, I just decided that's the way I want to go, and I'm just going to have to do it. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, you looked at the job, which is why I feel like they don't tell people out of high school. Yeah. They, they get people to just go to this school and go to my guidance counselor. Yeah. Just go to that school. It's like... Why don't you ask the kid what job they want? Yeah. And maybe they don't know by then, but it's like maybe you shouldn't go to school yet and waste a lot right. of money. <laughs> maybe you just wait a year or something, you know? Yeah, like sure. what are you waiting for before you take a mortgage out? But like I wish someone had said that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you know, what? you don't need to go to this school over here for that. Yeah. Or explain like the real-life ramifications of like, well, if, if that's what you really want, um, if that's your hobby – noted this is what it actually pays and if that's what your lifestyle is if this is your uh, ideal lifestyle it's not going to pay for that right yeah. that's not explained either yeah no like <laughs> if you're getting an environmental science degree you're probably going to work for the epa mm-hmm. you're going to do policy that's you're going to be a government guy that's what's yeah. just going to happen right right I mean, right so then there's the realism of the job it's like okay uh, yeah it seems great when you talk about what well, you can make environmental policy but really every day you're going to be maybe in washington and and talking to you know other policymakers that might not have any idea of what environmental issues exist or what they are, and maybe that's not what you want to do is educate about simple things like yeah. you know from the the bottom up. I don't know. I yeah. mean, if you're a political person, that's fine, maybe. But to uh, me, like a lot of I high think schoolers aren't. A lot of people are like, I want to be outside, blah <laughs> right, blah. And yeah. Next thing they know, they're they're never going outside. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I know. Yeah. I took a year between uh, high school and college, and I think it did really help. Because even being explained to about those types of things, sometimes it, you, you know, being a young person, you're kind of like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Or, you know, you don't understand until you actually have some real world experience where you're like, okay, well, now I can take that information and be practical about it rather than just like wanting to be defiant because somebody's telling you to do something or they're like, oh, I'm a, I'm older and I know and I'm giving you advice, you know? So yeah. I think that gap year actually is is really important for some people because you know can teach you a lot even just one year it's an overused thing term reflection but you you do need some time yeah it's better to do that than to say yeah they went there and dropped out and well thirty thousand dollars later right whatever it is now i don't depend on where you go yeah but i don't know so okay uh the ranger school what what 
what surprised you throughout like something that you didn't think it was and it ended up being so well i think going back to the fact that i entered as the natural resource major and switched over to forest technology um probably what surprised me is that i i was one of those person people entering the the major thinking like oh i'm i'm an environmentalist or that's the the at least the mental approach that i was taking and i just want to do what's best for the earth and you know be involved in conservation and then as I was learning about what forestry really entails and that, you know, things like that the public perceives as um, negative or that have been used against forestry in the past actually have a place and a purpose and are often misrepresented. As I came to understand those things, um, I aligned more with the forest technology uh, approach. And I think that was things like timber harvesting and, and logging and the term clear cutting is a very sensitive term to um, non forestry uh, people who associate clear cutting with, uh, you know, land clearing or um, not serving a purpose in the forest at certain times. And so I think that that type of knowledge was something that really surprised me because I didn't expect that I would be someone who would be trying to convince landowners that they should. It's sometimes it's okay to cut a tree down or there's a reason to cut trees um, in the forest and things that we would previously think of as uh, negative or detrimental to the environment um, without the education. So, yeah. Yeah. What do you think, John? (laughs) (laughs) I think that was well-rounded. Next subject. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think about what I thought before. Um, yeah. If something changed. But uh, I don't know what we're – I mean, was there anything like, yeah, okay, that's how I thought it would be or hmm. whatever? I don't know. I mean, I, I think I kind of went into it with no expectations really because mm-hmm. I didn't know exactly – I mean, I do remember um, one of the professors in orientation said something like, you don't realize it now, but you're going to realize after you – enter the program like just how many things there are you can measure yeah and it's funny um like i i didn't even some of the tools we use in in forestry are like things i'd never even heard of could not have even thought of on my own and so i think some of those were kind of kind of surprising to learn about but um yeah i just i had no preconception of like what i was going to be involved in other than being outdoors so yeah. yeah. Can you look back and think of anything that uh, really excited you when you first learned it? Like for me, I remember um, just really being excited about my uh, my my major and, and when I learned that the methodology of of uh, taking sampling and how you can extrapolate, you know, populations and all these other metrics out of such uh, you know small but specific sampling units, and then come up with all these uh, different calculations out of it. Anything like that really excited you in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I can definitely relate to that because that's very similar. Like you can you can take all these very seemingly meaningless measurements in the forest, like a diameter of a bunch of different trees and a bunch of different plots, and um, we did a lot of you know mapping of different stands in the forest, and um, we actually wrote a whole management plan. And to see that data that you took on the ground. Um, meticulously transform into like spreadsheets and being able to extrapolate, like you said, into um, how are we going to manage this forest? Like how do we apply 
the silviculture, the treatments, the management activities. Um, I think that was a very, I love, I really enjoyed that process. So probably the same thing that you experienced, but. Yeah. Why do you think there's such a rift between environmentalism and forestry? I really just think it's a partially miscommunication and misunderstanding of um, what these things that are, are misrepresented actually do in the forest. Um, because as soon as I was taught, I mean, it probably took just a few lectures of somebody explaining to me what these things meant and how they can be used correctly for me to realize like, oh, this is, this is just a tool. This isn't, and some people can use tools in the wrong way, but that doesn't mean that the tool is itself is bad. Um, and we can see many parallels of that in other examples across society. But so I think honestly, it, it just takes a little bit of education, um, to get people to understand that, yeah, this, this tool can be used properly and it can have a lot of benefits. Um, which is why I think, you know, something like public education, like what, what I do and what we do at, at the Catskill Forest Association is really important. Yeah. yeah. I feel like environmentalism is more about activism. Yeah. And forestry is more about um, conservation, wise use, management, field-based, you know, act, activism in the forest yeah. to, to meet some goal. It's not about that activism on a, any kind of with any kind of political sense. Yeah, well, Foresters aren't really political people, per se, mm -hmm. I would say. Is there any cultural differences you saw between, um, like, you know, you said you work with farmers. Now you're you're thrown in with forestry kids, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. And then that NRM, natural resources, or anything, anything you saw there? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think between natural resource students and forest tech students, there was definitely a, a difference in culture. Like, I think the forest tech students mainly came from more rural environments or they had already had experience with chainsaws or, you know, their, their parents might already be forestry professionals. And, um, they were kind of just carrying on that, that legacy or following that path. And then, um, in general, natural resource, including myself at first came from more urban environments or more, uh, were more interested in, in wildlife or something, uh, encompassed in forestry, but, but also its own field. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't say for sure. That's more just my personal observations. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't need data. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, I would, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. If the forestry kids were more upstate kids for lack of a better, mm -hmm. you know, rural kind of kids, um, you could tell them from a mile away. Yeah. Um, and the, the environmental science kids at, in the Syracuse camps, especially yeah. were, were more urban based. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot These more are generalizations, of course, a lot more kids with with mullets in the forest tech program. <laughs> yeah. than the it was resource. good though, because you know, you, you talk to these kids on both sides and you're, and again, you're yeah. living in close quarters. So you, you, you couldn't hide. No, there yeah. was no hiding your opinions. Eventually mm -hmm. they came out. Everyone's yeah. came out because yeah. you're just eating together, doing everything, mm -hmm. you know, working all the time. It was, it was mostly good experience. Yeah. But, um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to from the forest and tonight's topic is, Meet Catskill Forest Association's Education Forester, Zara Bellucci. I 
walk along the city streets you used to walk along with me and every step i take recalls how much in love we used to be oh how can i forget you when there is a Shadows fall. I pass a small cafe where we would dance at night, and I can't help recalling how it felt to kiss and hold you tight. Oh, how can I forget you? Tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is Meet Catskill Forest Association's Education Forester, Zara Bellucci. So, um, foresters, you know, we'll get into what you do with the Catskill Forest Association, but how would you define a forester? Mm, I would say, for a simple definition, I think a forester is someone obviously who has training and education in forestry, which would be the art and science of managing forests. So this can encompass a lot of different things, um, but they're going to use that knowledge that they have about the forest to make education, educated observations, and then from those observations be able to um, plan management activities that will uh, both marry land, landowner goals and objectives with you know, ecological management of the forest. And there's different foresters that manage yeah. different lands, right? Private, yeah. public, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's um, well, there's industrial foresters, so they uh, usually are attached to a, a company or somebody who's invested in. Uh, they work for someone. They're they're working for for you know Some, wood products company or something like that. Um, yeah, the mill, right? Yeah, 
and um, procurement forester. Right, and usually with much larger landowners, um, they're not really going to mess around with the little guy. They're you know they're in it to buy and sell timber most of the time, um, and then you know a private consulting forester, which would be uh, someone who works for themselves. They offer their services to uh, usually smaller landowners um, who aren't involved in the industry, uh, but they do get involved in timber too. They they buy and sell timber, but they also, not that the industrial foresters don't, but they also focus more on other objectives like wildlife and recreation and water quality and different things on the, the landowner's property. Yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, I would say any timber harvest should should include water quality. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I would say any yeah. of them, but... Mm-hmm. What do you think, John? Yeah, the consulting force is more more representing the landowner's goals, and because, um, like Zara just said, oftentimes landowners are smaller parcels. To make the business work, they need more, yeah, you know, more people involved throughout the year, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna vary those goals per property and per job. So yeah, it's more flexible. Gotta get creative. So you know, um, went to school, New York State Ranger School. What's something that now has changed now that you're in the, the job over a year now or so working with landowners what's something you're like you know that's not what i thought hmm. about what i learned <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure i think yeah. that mostly what's happened is that um the things that i've learned have just deepened and solidified as i talk to and work with landowners um and things that seemed purely intellectual are now actually like you know, I, I can actually visualize them or I've actually seen them uh, in real time. So I'm I'm better able to explain those things to landowners and to other people and, and in turn better understand them myself. But I'm not sure if anything has, has surprised me or, yeah. or been different. Yeah. What about regionally, like here versus if this uh, your job existed in the Adirondacks where you went to school? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think... Maybe in the Adirondacks, it's it's a lot more focused on on timber, and certainly in the in the Catskills, there's a lot more agriculture and um, and the species. I guess that would be something that you know didn't yeah. necessarily su- surprise me, but was definitely a, a new environment to come into because when you're in the Adirondacks, you pretty much see the same four or five species right. over and over and over again, no matter how far you drive. But um, here in the Catskills, I mean, you could drive 10, 15 minutes and be in a totally different forest type. So, Yeah, something that was definitely had to give up on, I don't, I don't say give up on, but is really challenging that we can't practice that we were taught for me is, we've said this before, the lack of low-grade markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when you don't have, like, paper markets and any significant firewood market, you um, can't do those larger-scale cuts, like yeah. regeneration cuts. Shelter wood, seed tree, to or you know to open up better quality trees. You end up, you only have a high grade market. It makes forestry very difficult. Yeah, that I would agree that that actually was something that surprised me that I couldn't things that I had learned like a textbook silvicultural application were not really applicable to many of the landowners that we meet with. So no regeneration cuts yeah. are extremely rare. Yeah, um, clear cuts. You know we'll get members that call i saw a clear cut i was like where no you didn't yeah they're like no no they cut a lot of trees like listen it costs money to do a clear cut mm-hmm. a lot of money because you know that small tree doesn't pay its way out yeah so it's very rare you see a clear cut 
see a lot of selective vlogging. Yep. What do they say about selective vlogging at the ranger school? It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> Not oh, good. Oh, really? Selective no, seriously. bad. Well, why? Why? Because, you know, I hear that from landowners all the time. I'm going to selectively. Don't worry. I'm going to selectively right. cut my hair. Yeah. Face. Well, it's because I think when landowners say selectively cut, they don't always know what that means. Or they, in their mind, they're thinking, I'm going to select... You know, I'm going to be carefully think about what to harvest, whereas that's not necessarily what it means in the forestry world or, or to a logger who says I'm going to come selectively cut your forest. And it's synonymous with high grading, which is taking out the best, leaving the rest. So and that's usually never something you want to do in the woods. Um, you know, it, it's it's basically taking out all of the trees that are the best adapted to that site because they grew the biggest. They're the, the best form. They're also the best um, candidates to provide a seed source for the, the regeneration in that forest, and you're removing them, and you're leaving all of the low-grade or trees that are less adapted or have a poorer form and a poorer seed source in the woods. And it, yeah. takes, it can take a you know, long, long time to recover from that. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is Meet Catskill Forest Association's Education Forester, Zara Bellucci. So what is... Um, what is a day at Catskill Forest Association like as education forester? I guess, how would you define that, Jeff? Yeah. Um, well, I do a lot of forest consultations, which are property visits with landowners. So these are members of the Catskill Forest Association. And, um, yeah, I, I walk their property with them. I kind of tease out what their objectives are, or if they don't have any, I kind of make suggestions or help them figure out what makes the most sense on their land. Um, and that takes up most of my time. Um, I also assist with other programs as needed and um, other field work, you know, like for instance, right now we're doing the apple tree pruning and I might tag along on, on some of those jobs. Um, I also am, am getting ready and planning a lot of educational material because part of as being education forester, as in the title, um, my job involves doing outreach and, and forestry education to not only our members, but um, anyone in the local community that is a current or future forest landowner. Um, just to, like like I said before, it's really important to get that education piece out because otherwise it makes our job a lot harder because people don't understand. Um, you know, it, it's, it can be complicated stuff, and it, it's uh, really important that you know what you're getting into and, and especially if you're a smaller landowner you can be prepared um, you know if a logger does approach you and say oh I want to selectively cut you know and and we've taught you what that me means so you know to be cautious or just to take management into your own hands so um, right now I'm preparing you know educational materials getting ready for the the upcoming year and events and workshops which I also assist with and so what about this um, new program, forest farming? Like, what was the oh yeah what inspired you to do that? Yeah, well, again, continuing on this vein of of small landowners, um, often, especially in the Catskills, often having uh, degraded forest, meaning they were previously high graded, or a lot of it was cleared for agriculture and abandoned, and just grew back as you know, red maple or or um, never was really managed, they have limited management options. You know, they, like, like you said, they can't um, apply these traditional silvicultural methods to their property. 
um, because they have all low-grade material and they just couldn't fund the project. No forester would really be interested in, not that they wouldn't want to help them manage it, but that they just couldn't really make money from it. It's not at scale. Right. It's not at scale and it's not, um, it just doesn't make sense logistically. So for the forest farming program, um, it, it's an, um, forest farming is uh, underneath a broader umbrella of agroforestry, which is the uh, combination of agriculture, so it could be crops or livestock, with uh, forests or trees, um, to put it simply. And forest farming would be the cultivation of certain products, which would be referred to as non-timber forest products. So these people who are landowners with degraded forests who can't harvest timber to fund their management activities um, may be interested in getting involved in other non-timber products. So this could be, especially in the Catskills, a popular one is ginseng. Um, obviously, lots of people in this region tap for maple syrup um, and things like growing mushrooms or, you know, really anything can be a non-timber forest product as long as it comes from the forest and there's a market for it. So, um, yeah, this, this program is going to be something that uh, offers to our members, to landowners, this preliminary education, this basic understanding of how to cultivate these products from your forest at a backyard scale so that you are able to um, access these alternatives if this applies to you and, and you have, you know, a small, small parcel that's, you know, you can't do much with and form a connection with your forest and actually management while also possibly making an income or getting something from it. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to what's forestry and what's environmentalism. We're, you know, the Catskill Forest Association seems like you're trying to connect people to woodlands. You're trying to get – we believe that people will be more – not just caring. You know, caring's cheap. <laughs> people care about a lot of things, but I judge them by what they do. Yeah. And when you have an incentive, you know, you're vested into your land, you're, you're getting your hands dirty, I feel like you, you take – you have skin in the game. You take you appreciate it more in a way than just you know. Well, I care about it. Well, yeah. What are you doing? That's kind of cool. Besides, John, if you can take mushrooms, ginseng, maple syrup, all you have to do is add venison in the mix, and you have four <laughs> amazing products. Yeah, mm -hmm. it sounds like four a, amazing things that a come meal from the for woods. A day. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. So man. I yeah, know. I think it's and I think it's something that people are becoming increasingly interested in, and and because it does connect them to the forest, it does you know. People are, especially after, you know, everything happened with the pandemic, people were like scrambling to, to get back to the land or, you know, get back to um, things that, you know, they lost connection to. And so I think that's a, also a really important piece of it. And, and like you said, it, it, they get skin in the game. They actually get their hands dirty in the forest. Yeah, and you make mistakes and you learn. Yeah. You say, well, this is, oh, this is how it happens. Okay, I get it. Mm -hmm. you, you learn things. You see things that you wouldn't. You would have never seen before, yeah. you know, when you're out there working with working versus playing in the woods, mm -hmm. I, I believe. Yeah, and it's those small steps like, you know, maybe you do start with someone who believes, um, you know, the best option is to not cut any trees down. But they're interested in inoculating a mushroom log. And then they start paying attention to their woods. And then they realize they got to cut some bolts down mm -hmm. uh, or cut some trees down to make the bolts for the mushroom logs. Then they understand why they're picking the right tree for the right reason. And then they get involved with this larger understanding of forestry. Right. And all of a sudden, they're managing their whole wood lot. And, um, 
and it's it's a better diverse place for for wildlife and and all the trees are surrounding and it's more resilient forest and healthy yeah you know anything like that could spark a broader interest and that's, mm-hmm. that's a that's a win it yeah. starts revealing more layers to the forest than mm-hmm. you probably saw before before you just saw a green canopy mm-hmm. now you're starting to see different layers from mushrooms to the sap that's hidden inside of a tree yep you know to uh that back strap mm-hmm. i mean come on jesus I, i'm hungry i had something <laughs> lunch. i'm really hungry i have one waiting for me mm-hmm. um we only have like four minutes left sarah oh wow so real yeah. quick so you just recently went to the Society of American Foresters meeting yep. in Syracuse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, any, anything notable? Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty much 90% of the whole conference was about carbon. So I think that's a really big topic coming up in, in forestry. Or it's here, it's not coming up. Um, to be honest, a lot of it was over my head. I think it, a lot of it's over most people's heads. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it's something to think about. Uh, even still, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've uh, on from the forest here had two speakers on carbon, and it's very confusing mm-hmm. on how it's going to be measured and allocated and reimbursing. Yeah, forest owners. Yeah, and talking to other foresters, I, I think the greatest, most common question occurs is 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 it actually doing anything that uh, wouldn't have already happened anyway? Mm-hmm. When you talk about you know, carbon, uh, credits in the forest, um, for, uh, you know, industrial use. I don't know. Yeah. That's a big question. Is Yeah. My fear it'll be another way to bludgeon forest owners into not cutting ever, mm-hmm. which I think would be a missed opportunity. Land is so precious Yeah, and we should be using our own land responsibly. Otherwise we will have to learn, use someone else's. <laughs> And I stole that from Dr. Bridgen, who was a mm-hmm. former professor at the New York State Ranger School, and he was the, uh, what would you call him, dean? Director. Director, yeah. And he said that. I, and I remember sitting there, and, you know, I don't know much about forestry, and he's like, well, if we don't use our land, we'll have to use someone else's. I'm like, I like to debate. I like to argue. So I'm like, no, I can't argue with that. You know, nope, can't do it. <laughs> yeah. He's right. Damn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I, I mean, know. I think. Humans have always interacted with the forest, and you can't just suddenly now say, oh, we can't touch it at all. Or we're in their habitat. That drives me nuts. It's (laughs) well-intentioned, but, well, we're in their habitat. It's like, do you think we've been riding the glaciers since they receded? Mm -hmm. We we are here. Sorry, go ahead. No, (laughs) that's that's all I had to say. That's it? Yeah. Damn, John. Reminds me, I'll put in a plug-in for The Age of Wood. That was a good book. It talks about uh, you know how much wood has influenced mm-hmm. American survival, or not American, uh, human survival since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look up that book. It's a good one. That, is that where he talks about oak as well? No. talks about everything. It talks about uh, yeah. you know apes coming down out of the trees all the way to yeah. no person is ever more than about six feet away from some wood product mm-hmm. in their lives ever. Right. Whether it's in the bathroom, we're sitting at a wooden desk right now, uh, whatever. It's it's always around some forest product. So, no, it's amazing. Think about that and appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the forest is more than just walking the dog. That's nice. That's nice. But <laughs> there are other things as well that land and forest can sustain, mm-hmm. truly sustain. But to me, there's beautiful thing about forestry is that it's the most longest term rural land use 
Foresters don't think on even three-year intervals. It, it's really way out there. It's yeah. decades. You're, you're trying to figure things out and predict them. Yeah. Good forester never sees his work, right? Yeah, and that is very, very true. But we've got about one minute left. Is there anything else you guys wanted to say before we uh, close out tonight's show, which was uh, Meet Catskill Forest Association's Education Forester, Zara Bellucci? Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, I guess just get in your woods. Um, things coming up for Catskill Forest Association. Uh, I don't have the date in front of me, but next month is our apple tree pruning demonstration. That's always a big hit, so uh, check out our website and get registered for that if you're interested in learning how to prune apple trees on your property. Yeah, pruning apple trees. Oh, yeah. Um, we're in an apple tree today that was probably between 80 and 100 years, so if they're taken care of, they can last a long time. But... um if you're thinking about tapping trees in Delaware County, it's coming up soon. So yeah. don't wait. Hey, you don't have to boil the stuff down. You can just drink the sap if you don't feel like going through all that craziness of burning a lot of sap wood. That's what I'm doing this year. Yeah. Uh, my time's out the window for me right now. But got my, one, one, one tree tapped, and I drink it. My mm -hmm. kids love it. They fight over the sap, and... Um, they're very well hydrated. I have all my jars. I was thinking about just bottling the sap in my jars. Yeah. Maybe I'll have some, uh, you know, late spring, early summer when I'm, you know, ready for it. That's right. All right, guys. Have a good night. Good night. Take care. Oh, the neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. Then the old man came home from the forest. His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street. A dozen faces stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway and the bottle was his friend And the old man stumbled in from the forest Up a dark and dingy staircase the old man made his way His ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay so dear who'd loved him in the springtime of a long forgotten year when the wildflowers did bloom in the forest she touched his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name and then he heard the joyful sound of children at the game Garden Town, where the